0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. There is absolutely nothing that you
1: and I can do to merit or earn the blessing or favor of God. Well, doesn't God bless us when we read our Bibles and pray and tithe? Absolutely. But it's not on the basis of us having earned it. There is absolutely nothing that I can do to ever merit God's love nor is there anything we can do for him to make him love us
0: more. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Galatians. Do you catch yourself with the mindset that if you just did a little extra, God would be more pleased with you? We are so driven in our culture to do more, but we can't let this translate into our walk with God. Pastor J.D. reminds us today that there's nothing we can do to earn the blessing of God because we're justified on the basis of what Jesus has done. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in Galatians chapter 3 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: The Apostle Paul continues in his letter to these churches in the area or the region known at that time as Galatia, and he says, verse 6, so also Abraham believed God And it was credited to him as righteousness. Actually, Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which we're going to talk about here shortly. Verse 7, "'Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham.'" All nations will be blessed through you. Again, he's quoting Genesis. So, verse 9, Those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ, verse 13, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, or a tree, as some of your translations might render it. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean in this, verse 17... The law introduced, and this is key, 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. It doesn't supersede it. It can't. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise but God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then, verse 19, was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Verse 21. (laughs) Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by way of the law. But, verse 22, scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who, key word, believe. Hang on to that. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So, The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now, verse 25, that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Our text today has within it answers to many important questions. And these questions are as it relates to our Christian lives. And I want to begin with one such question that I really think needs to be answered first, and it's a very important question. Do you believe, think this through with me, do you believe that as a born-again Christian, we have to do our part in order to earn the blessing of God on our life. Let me ask the same question in a different way, if you don't mind. Do we live our Christian lives thinking that if we read our Bibles every day, Pray on our knees for extended periods of time. I mean, till it hurts. And, perhaps more importantly, (laughs) tithe large amounts of money to the church. Do we think that doing that will somehow earn or merit God's blessing on our lives? When I was a very young Christian, just just a, a real new believer, I'll never forget this, I was, um, this is 35 years ago now, I'm talking to my cousin, I'm sharing with him how that I had just come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and I was just so on fire for the Lord, and, and I was telling him that I was reading my Bible, I couldn't put it down, and he's not a Christian, And he says to me, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Now, I hadn't yet read all the way through the Bible. I had heard that that was in the Bible, but you might imagine my shock to find that there's no such verse in the Bible. In fact, I would argue, and you would have to agree, (laughs) that what you'll find in the Bible is the exact opposite that God helps those who can't help themselves. Many a man and woman of God throughout the pages of Holy Writ can testify to that, where basically they did nothing God did everything. And very interesting, God brought them to that place in their lives where they came to the end of their lives and in surrender threw up their hands and said to God, God, this is impossible. To which God would respond, I know. (laughs) Watch me now. And that way only God gets the glory. Ask Gideon, one of my favorites. I mean, here's a guy who's got an army of 32,000 men, and he's up against the Midianite army of 135,000. Do the math, 32. They have 135,000 men, and God says to him, Gideon, dude, I'm. So, we didn't say dude, it's not in the original, but I'm so sorry, you have too many men. I can just imagine Gideon thinking to himself, I I think you mean they have too many men. They have 135. I only have 32,000. No, no, Gideon, you have too many men. And he weeds them out and he strips them down to 300 men. Now, I've heard it taught many different ways, but I am personally of the belief that the 300 that were left were lame, blind, crippled, elderly (laughs) They weren't the warriors. They weren't the green berets. They weren't the top guns. And the reason I believe that is because when he takes them to the springs to drink water, and God says to him, Gideon, I want you to separate the guys that, that stick their face in the water and just from the guys that just kind of, they can't get down because they're too old. So they can't bend down. They're afraid they might not get back up. And, and they're going to cup the water, and then they're going to bring it. And I want you to put them over, over here. Now, can you imagine Gideon? I'm just, I just picture him standing off, looking from a distance, as 9,700 men stick their faces in the water and drink. They're so thirsty. And only 300 men cup the water. Why? It fits with the narrative. Gideon himself is the least of the least of the least, In fact, it's kind of interesting. I had no intention on going here, but bear with me. I think it's apropos and germane to our understanding of what we have in front of us. But here is Gideon now, the least in his family, that is the least in his tribe, and his tribe is the least of all of the tribes of Israel. And that's the one that God uses. God is going to help the one who can't help himself. There is no strength in and of himself. God's going to do everything. We just have to let him. And he's going to take 300. Even if they wanted to, think about it. Can you imagine these guys going back to the camp after this victory over the Midianites, you know, on their walkers? I mean, no disrespect. (laughs) I got some gray hairs on this mug of mine, but can you imagine them? limping back to the camp of the Israelites and telling them, man, you should have seen us up against those Midianites, 135,000 of them. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Look at you, uncle. (laughs) You couldn't hurt a fly. I know, God did it. The battle belongs to the Lord, and the victory comes from the Lord. You know what I notice in the Gospels? Very interesting. Jesus is attracted to the helpless, Jesus is attracted to the helpless. You see him in the Gospels, and he gravitates towards them, and even says, I'm the physician, and the physician doesn't come for the one who's not sick. In fact, his harshest words are for the religious leaders. The harshest words that ever came out of the Savior's mouth were for the religious elite, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law not for the poor, the lame, the blind, and the crippled. Please know that as we sit here today, there is absolutely nothing that you and I can do to merit or earn the blessing or favor of God. Well, doesn't God bless us when we read our Bibles and pray and tithe? Absolutely but it's not on the basis of us having earned it. There is absolutely nothing that I can do to ever merit God's love, nor is there anything we can do for Him to make Him love us more. That is agape love. That was one of the things early on in my walk with the Lord that was really hard to wrap my mind around, and that is that God loves me just as much as He loves anybody else. I never imagined God looking down at one Christian and going, you look at him.
0: <sighs>
1: you see how much time he spent in the Word this morning? You see how much time he spent on his knees in prayer this morning? Oh, do you see how much he tithed and wrote that check out for? Give him two scoops of ice cream. <laughs> nah." He doesn't compare to the other Christian, and on the basis of that merit, he's earned it. No, no, no we, we no, we don't earn anything. It's not on that basis. Here's the truth: we are justified and made righteous on the basis of our believing and putting our trust in Jesus. Period. That's what makes us righteous, and that's what justifies us. It's not what we do, it's what he did. It's not anything we do, it's what he's already done for us and instead of us. And this is why Paul does what he does and says what he says. It's also why he goes all the way back to the beginning to demonstrate and illustrate this truth by way of Abraham. Why Abraham? Because Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. To me, the account that Paul refers to is, I believe, one of the most powerful and profound in all of Scripture because of the implications that it has and the application that it has to our Christian lives every day. We have the record in Genesis chapter 15 where God makes this covenant with Abraham again, as Paul mentions, 430 years before the law was given. Let me If you'll indulge me, I'll explain kind of how this went down. It's very fascinating, actually. In Genesis 15, they're still called at this time Abram and Sarai. God is going to eventually change their name and their nature, because the name is the nature, by taking the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet and placing it in the fifth place in both of their names, and five is the number of grace. It's a very fascinating study unto itself, but that's another topic for another time. So in Genesis 15, there's still Abram and Sarai, and at this time, they're basically, get this, homeless and childless, and have been for years, and they're living in tents. They're basically nomads at this time. Now, (laughs) it's at this time that the Lord appears to Abraham in a vision, and the word of the Lord to Abraham is do not be afraid I am your shield and your very great reward to which Abraham responds um, God again very loose paraphrase bear with me <laughs> God um, have you noticed that um, I have no children and by the way my uh, wife isn't getting any younger that ship is sailing (laughs) and I'm childless you have to understand in that culture and in my culture today even in the Arab culture today I'll never forget my mom was very concerned about the fact that my wife and I couldn't have children took us 10 years we had what they called inexplicable or unexplained infertility and this was seen as a curse in that day if you were unable to have children, it was the curse of God on your life. And conversely, if you had many children, that was the blessing of God on your life. And that's the same way today in the Arab and the Middle Eastern culture. So you have to understand that for Abram and Sarai to be barren, and by the way, this is going to get really ugly, with an Egyptian uh, woman by the name of Hagar. And anyway, that's, we're still reaping the consequences of that horrible decision on Abraham's part. But uh, he's basically saying to God, God, that's great and everything, that you are, you know, uh, my great reward, but I don't have any children. And how can you be my great reward if I'm still childless and my wife is still barren? You know what God's response is to him? He says, Abraham, I want you to uh, look up to the sky. You see all those stars up there? Try to count them. You can't. Try to count them. By the way, very interesting. They believe, they, whoever they are. I'd like to meet they someday, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be something? Somebody introduces themselves and says, my name is they. <laughs> You're they. I, you, I've heard so much about you. You know, they say, they this, they that. Anyway, they say that there are the same number of stars in the sky as there are sands on the seashore. Let that sink in. (laughs) And this is what God says to Abraham. I I want you to try to count them. That is the number of the descendants that I'm going to give you. Now, can you imagine Abram over here going, okay, (laughs) Uh, really? I, I don't have any children. And oh, by the way, it's quite a few years later, even after he uh, has uh, Hagar and they, uh, she gives birth to Ishmael. And then they have the promised son, Isaac. But here's what's interesting. Abraham believes it. It's unbelievable. But Abraham believed it. That's unbelievable. No way. Way. He believed it. He just simply believed it. And God was so blessed and even impressed, if I can say it that way, that he said, because you believe me, as far out as this is, as impossible as this seems, because you believe me, I will account it unto you as righteousness and you're not going to do anything to help me. Oh, he tried. Isn't it true when we try to help God out, we just make a bigger mess? I think about Peter in the garden when they arrested Jesus, and he tries to help the, the Savior of the world, God incarnate, by pulling his sword out and cutting off Malchus's ear. And Jesus is like, Peter, dude, come on, man. He heals the ear using carnal weaponry to fight a spiritual battle. Listen, if you hear nothing else that I say today, hear this, God does not need our help. I mean, there's no verse that says God helps those who help themselves. but There's also no verse that says God needs our help. We don't need to help God. There's nothing we can do. In fact, anything we try to do can make a bigger mess and take God longer. <laughs> to fulfill his promise.
0: Galatians contains many lessons that we can learn from even today. The Apostle Paul spent time in this letter encouraging the church to embrace the love and lifestyle of Jesus. While we need to learn and abide by the Bible's principles, we can't become like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, promoting legalism above grace. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and therefore, we get to choose to follow him in the way he desires. That's all we have time for today on In Spirit and Truth. You can find more messages from Pastor J.D. by visiting our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll receive new messages as soon as they're available. Download our mobile app for Android and iPhone and always have teachings from God's Word right at your fingertips. If you live in or will be visiting the Kaneohe area, why not come join us in person for one of our weekly services? At Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, we desire to share God's Word and love everywhere we go and with everyone who walks through our doors. Come by on Sunday at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. or on Thursday at 7 p.m. for a time of Bible study and worship under the leadership of Pastor J.D. Farag. We can't wait to meet you, so please introduce yourself. Find out more at inspiritandtruthradio.com by clicking on the link to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. That's all for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. There's so much more to learn from the pages of Galatians, though. So be sure to join Pastor J.D. again for another in-depth look. That's next time right here on In Spirit and Truth.